Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in. I'm actually sitting in North Dakota about to head to Minnesota, but we came back up here to North Dakota to finish where we left off uh, last time when we were here in early September and we managed to knock one down. Ted actually killed a buck last night in Iowa as well, so kind of on a roll here. So we should have some pretty awesome video content coming out. Wanted to let you know that we're having a huge giveaway. If you go over to thehuntingpublic.com and click on the giveaway, you'll see more of the details there. But a few of the key points are, there'll be one grand prize winner and 16 single prize winners. The giveaway ends on October 31st, so there's still a couple weeks left to enter. All you gotta do is enter your name and your email and then hit enter giveaway and you get additional entries with every $25 spent on our website, thehuntingpublic.com. There's all kinds of cool prizes. This is by far the biggest giveaway that we've ever done. And we're pretty excited to get some of this gear in your guys' hands. But in this episode, I'm gonna be calling my buddy Bo Martonic. We've had Bo on the podcast before, and I always enjoy catching up with him. And in this conversation, we talk about a long list of things from strategy to just keeping a positive mental attitude throughout the season. Sometimes it is challenging to stay positive when things maybe aren't going your way throughout the hunting season. Maybe you're making mistakes, you're having close calls, or maybe you're just not seeing anything in general, but keeping a positive mental attitude definitely helps. And as far as strategy goes, I just always love talking to Bo because I pick up on a lot of things that he's thinking about that maybe I wasn't paying any attention to. And I think that his hunting situation is very relatable. He hunts a lot of big woods settings. And in recent years, I've become more and more interested in big woods hunting in general. So I hope you guys are able to take away something from this conversation and put it to use this season. A tip that I have before the podcast brought to you by our friends over at Vortex for October hunting is taking advantage of observation sits. I think a lot of times in October it's easy to get antsy and feel like you got to dive right into the action but early in the season like this there's definitely a lot of advantages to trying to pattern deer from a distance. A lot of times we'll drive around areas that we think deer might be moving into to feed at night or we may set up in a spot where we can see a lot but may not have any real close shooting opportunities just to try to learn more about what the deer are doing. When I'm doing this, I like to have a powerful pair of binoculars. I've been using the Vortex Diamondback HD 15x56 binoculars for several years now, and they're awesome binoculars for a lot of different situations. It can really help you tell what you're looking at and help you make a decision for how you want to move in on it later in the month. Finally, I wanted to remind you guys that we've partnered with the social media platform Go Wild to combat mainstream social media. Go Wild is a free social community where not only are your photos not censored, they're encouraged. They've also got a shop on their website where they sell all kinds of gear. There's thousands and thousands of items on their shop. If you want to save a little bit of money, we can help you save 10% on all your purchases on the Go Wild store if you use the code THP10. And if you create a free account, you can unlock $10 just for trying it out. All you gotta do is visit downloadgowild.com to get started. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, everybody. Let's get Bo on the line. What have you been up to? What are you thinking about these days? Trying to get in back into Pennsylvania is kinda just into the season here. So normally, I'm here from the opener, you know, kind of through and I'm, you know, I feel typically I'm feeling pretty good about having an idea what my spots are looking like, his signs popping up. 
well, I've been traveling and I just got back here and I feel lost a little bit. So mm-hmm. I'm trying to, you know, take advantage of this colder weather that's coming through. Um, got out in the woods a little bit here and, and found some good sign and some things that um, I'm looking forward to kind of trying to take advantage of this week here and just, yeah, really trying to take advantage of that. But I'm really excited about that. And then uh, hunting West Virginia again this year, that's, that's a big big goal mine to kill a buck down there as uh, down there with josh hunting off the ground so i'm, I'm excited to, to get into that a little bit so yeah what have you been up to i'll just uh probably similar stuff as far as traveling goes i was in north dakota well i guess first i was in montana for a few days about five days i think total we were there hunting pronghorn and then we went to um north dakota to start deer hunting filmed Jake in North Dakota. We were unsuccessful, but we were close several times. And then we came, or I guess then I went back home to Colorado for a couple days. And then I turned around and went for like 15 days straight elk hunting. Um, one little like kind of reset day in the middle there where we took a break and hunted a couple different areas, uh, a couple different tags and, uh, filmed my buddy Grant for like 10 days. And then we had five days left, I guess, of season, and we dove into a different area and had just an awesome, you know, end to the season there. So that's when you killed your bull. Yep. Oh, that yeah. was a freaking stud. Yeah, I was more than pleased when he popped <laughs> up, but man, it was just you know crazy elk hunting experiences. Like, got to do a lot of really cool stuff. Um, saw a lot more this year. Changed up some tactics a little bit. Just like. You know, I focus honestly. I know people listening to this podcast like maybe don't, you know, want to hear about elk anymore, but like that's so much of my interest these days that it's like taken over like all the off season, you know, thought process is going into elk. So it's really rewarding to, you know, have good success doing that, you know, the last couple of years and just looking forward to doing more and more of that and continue to get better at it because. Right now I feel, you know, like I've got a good grasp on what I'm looking for in the whitetail woods, but trying to take that to elk hunting is is definitely a whole different challenge, and I'm just enjoying that process a lot. And it looks like you went out elk hunting and had some pretty crazy action. I saw a clip of you with a bull run like two yards past you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. my elk hunt was the best hunt you could ever have and not come home filling a tag. So I'm, I'm still not over that and I don't think I will be, but the fact that, well, my buddy, Tim, um, we did a setup and called in a bull for him and he shot on day two. So that was super cool. It was his first elk. And, um, then after that, I was just out there. It was just me and Justin. He was filming me for the next, we spent 21 days out there and every single day, and we were playing on truck camping and we ended up backpack hunting the entire time. That's sweet. And it was, it was so much fun, but we found elk every day and I shot two arrows and, uh, one where I smashed a branch and went right down on the ground and a clean mess. And then, uh, th- it was, it was just crazy. Like the, this, when I first started elk hunting, just trying to find elk was like the, the biggest thing. And then on like this trip, we were finding elk right from day day one, which came from 
me bear hunting the area in the spring. And so I got to scout. Yeah. That was kind of the, the plan. And, uh, and it was just the elk were there and there were just huge herds of elk, which had its own challenges. You know, there was, there was probably even at the beginning of the season, 40, 50 cows with, with the herd bull and six or seven satellites with them. That's and crazy. I just felt so, I, I could get to like 40 yards from them, but it was so thick that it was tough to get shots through mm-hmm. the, through it. And I just felt like I had, I couldn't do anything. I, I was just like sitting there like, what do I do? I can't, I can't figure out how to, you know, close this deal. Or then I'd call and I was solo and they would come in and I tried throwing my sound. I tried doing everything and they'd, they'd hang up just inside that brush and I couldn't, you know, get shots. And then finally I saw the herd bull, even though, I mean, I could, he, he sound we call him the Marlboro man. Cause he sounded like he smoked cigarettes. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it was crazy. His, his bugle. And I finally saw him and I'm like, he's freaking huge. Like this is a once in a lifetime bull. And I got like hyper-focused on hunting him. And I would just, I, I it was funny. I almost, it was like white tails, like depending on certain wind, they would bed in a certain location. Yeah. Uh, there was only two rainstorms during that whole hunt, and r- no matter what time of day that rainstorm came in, right before the rain would hit, they'd go down to feed. Yeah, it was like I learned so much about elk by just I'd follow them up to bed, try to chase them in there. That's really hard to do. That's where I got the first shot was doing that. I got in between two bulls and called one in. Then I realized this big bull wasn't going to be called in, so I was like, I'm going to have to just be silent. And I would set like just off enough if the wind switched that it wouldn't you know, blow them out, but I could just sit there and wait for them to make that move at the end of the day. And finally on day 14, I got my shot at him at 18 yards. And once again, I hit a branch and it deflected up right into his back strap. So that was unfortunate, but, uh, I thought I high lunged him and I was like, that's a dead bull. Mm-hmm. But, you know, watching the footage back, it was like, no, that was not not the case and and chased him you know he was bugling the whole way there were blood track and i'm like this ain't good you know yeah. you could, you could he- tell it was him and he was like a ways away and then end up coming back in the next day and couldn't find couldn't find him but we could hear him yeah. and then ended up getting eyes on him again and he acted like nothing happened like the, so just and chased him for another six days and couldn't get another opportunity, but man, it was, it was so cool. And, and the area we were at, there was whitetails there. So I was seeing whitetails. I called in two Tom Miriam turkeys, which I had a turkey tag, but I was like, I'm elk hunting. I'm way back in here. Yeah. Don't shoot the turkey. Uh, but it was just fun. I just used my mouth call and started calling and, and they came That's running cool. right in. Were they gobbling? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, no, they were just, they, they, just they were just, yeah, That's just coming sweet. in. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I can hear them just clucking and making noises and stuff. And and they'd roost the same spot they were in the spring because I yeah. called in one for my brother right at that area, and yeah. he killed it in the spring. And it was just like – it was such a cool hunt overall, though. Um, and then the last uh, the last thing I'll say about that was – so Tim, my buddy, he, he was running – he's from Mon- – or he lives in Montana now, but he was running trail cameras in there. And the one day he came back in later in the hunt, last few days, and there was this bull – going nuts and we set up on him and he just shut up right before dark tim b and yeah tim bueno yeah yeah i saw this said, on you know instagram tim? well I, yeah, we, yeah. him and i have followed each other we send messages and stuff back and forth like you know here and there so i i, I definitely yeah. know of him yeah he's a freaking beast and and he um he sends me a trail camera picture of a tom mountain lion that trail camera was 60 yards from where we were set up at the same time and we never saw the mountain lion 
and he was there same date time stamped everything just right above us on this little bench and uh that's why that bull probably shut up but we never never saw that cat but it was pretty pretty cool i saw that on uh your guys's stories and uh, yeah i was like damn like that's pretty sweet i mean kind of freaky a little bit but pretty sweet nonetheless yeah no definitely definitely was so yeah that was um yeah that was like where my focus was you know you're talking about um you're talking about how you've been the off season focusing on elk elk and everything that's kind of the way i've been and uh just like now i'm kind of switching gears back into to whitetail so it's been feels like a long season already but it really just started yeah i mean the one thing i'll say about it is like i feel for you for like the standpoint of like it sounds like you definitely worked hard and i mean it's one of those deals where i've had definitely my fair share of of experiences like that elk hunting or deer hunting or anything where i just like like wears you out mentally to the point where you're like man am i gonna be able to recover and like you will like you know you're a good hunter yeah (laughs) you know it's like you got those opportunities you learned a lot and like next year you'll be better for it so it's yeah no i i think there's a lot i could pull from it too like even for like whitetails and hunting them off the ground is is where I'd realize there's an issue with myself is like I get in that moment and I say when I draw back I look through my peep and everything looks great everything looks great when I'm looking through and then I'm not seeing the whole outside around me and that's where you know the arrow deflection issues came mm-hmm. came up and it's like you know after I stepped back and looked at it after the shot I was like I shouldn't have shot mm-hmm. like there was there was not a great opportunity for it to make it through there, but it looked clear to me at that moment when you're running and kind of moving and then all of a sudden something happens and you draw and it's, it's hard to analyze that, but I need to, I need to get better at that. And I think that's, um, something I'm going to try to try to focus on even in the whitetail woods as I, you know, hunt off the ground, not a ton, but a decent amount while I'm scouting, I'm always, you know, always have narrow knock and kind of doing that. So yeah that's some definitely some things learned from there that's for sure yeah that's i mean that's really what it's all about like at at the end of the day like we all want to punch the tag but you know i look back on the hunts that you know are kind of haunting like that because i got a i got a long list of them it's like (laughs) you know those are the ones that motivate me more almost than the successful ones you know it's like there's some hard lessons learned on the times where you make the mistakes and I mean, as much as it's a, you know, it's not ideal. It's a tough pill to swallow. It's just like, it's how you learn. And, and I mean, we had our fair share of that this elk season too. Like we hunted for 15 days and we shot, shot one, but like, you know, there's a lot of time there where we had just close call after close call after close call. And, you know, just some of those times you're like, man, these little mistakes that we're making, you know, really are costing us big time. And, um, you know, as far as the shooting thing goes, the one thing that, like, I have found to be the most helpful for me is just drawing on everything. Like, every single time I see, which i not saying you do or don't, but, like, when I'm hunting, period, I draw on every deer that I see, you know, if, as long as I don't feel like r- r- spooking that deer is, like, a huge, huge risk, like, if there's deer moving around me and I can draw, I can just practice getting that pin on them. Even if it's, you know, especially if it's a non-target deer and just seeing what you can and can't get away with. And that's something I was um, a guest on that podcast last night and something we talked about a lot is just, you know, getting comfortable in 
your setups, which is just something that, you know, it does take time and I'm de definitely not perfect at it. Like there's definitely mistakes that, that I make all the time because you can, you can always improve that skill set, and it's just something that, you know, as we ground hunt more, it's like you're relearning those things because you learned how to do it in a tree and then a tree stand and then a tree saddle, and it's like you got to relearn a lot of things. And, you know, the more experience you get, the better, you know, you, you'll get at it in general. And then also, like, it's just another tool in the tool bag, right? It's like if you can get on the ground and hunt half the ground and be effective and be in a tree stand, tree saddle, whatever. You're just maximizing your opportunities and yeah, it's all good stuff. It's all good. It's it's yeah. good to learn, but it sometimes hurts to learn. <laughs> I hate yeah, I hate learning and I like it at the same time. It's one of those <laughs> you know, it's that's exactly how I, I feel about it. And I mean I was like that last year in West Virginia when I was hunting off the ground with Josh from the Untamed. It was like we were just you know, he was with me and kind of coaching me along the way with it. Cause I had never hunted that way for whitetails. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there was an opportunity that I might've been able to capitalize if I would have drew a little quicker, or if I would have, you know, there was things there that, you know, looking back, it's like, man, I really could have had this awesome big deer on the ground if I would have done this differently. And, mm -hmm. and it hurts like that. It definitely, it, it hurts in every aspect, but, uh, I, I'm trying to learn from all that and, and continue to, I, I like the idea of drawing on everything and, and being able to, to do that. I need to, that's, that's, I think that last, as, as I said it to Justin, I was like, that last 1% is where I need to, to do better. That la you know, the, the final capitalization mm -hmm. of it to, to really, you know, become a, a, a killer. Like I want to, I want to be able to capitalize on all those opportunities and I'm not doing that right now. So I need to need to get better at it. That's for sure. Yeah. Another thing that I do a lot that I didn't do when I was younger is like, I shoot in the yard, like primarily off my knees, like off like a ground setup. You know, obviously I shoot standing too, like when I'm sighting in or just getting, getting reps early, I'll, I'll stand. But like once season starts getting closer, you know, july august time frame like i almost only shoot from my knees like i'll be at the 3d range and everybody's standing up and i'm the guy getting down you know just because that's the way i that's the way i hunt you know that's realistic to me so yeah um that and then also something that i started doing a lot this year um and i like you have to have a lot of arrows if you're going to try doing this stuff but I, I actually never really lost any is i just started practicing like seeing like how small of a gap can I push this arrow through at different ranges, right? So it's like, for example, there were some 40-yard shots that I was shooting at um, the target, and I knew there would be enough arc, or I was testing, I guess, if there was enough arc on my arrow to go over that brush, like basically putting stuff between me and the target just to see if my arrow would clear it or if... Um, I was really close just seeing how small of a little gap I could punch it through and just doing stuff like that, like, you know, living in a place too where you have, which I don't have this, I have to do it at a 3D range, but if I had a place where I could shoot in my yard with a little bit of woods or trees or, you know, anything that I can mimic like a hunting situation is like really, really beneficial and I... I started doing it a little bit back in like 2018, just seeing how much stuff I could shoot through with my broadheads, like grass and 
I was actually doing it with like little sunflowers out in Nebraska and just seeing where, mm. what I could punch through and what I couldn't. And like just having that added confidence of what you can and can't get away with. Cause that's, that's ultimately what ground hunting is to me is just relearning what you can and can't get away with, whether that's shooting, drawing, you know, setting up or moving around. It's like, you just continue to like chip away at understanding that. And that's, that's where it's really fun to me, I guess. And that's what I like, I like about it is it's like re it is relearning, but it keeps me super focused compared to like, I'm, I'm not the type of guy that's really focused in a tree stand. I'm the type of guy that's like, you know, talking to my buddy that's filming or looking at my phone or thinking about where I could be. So it's like when I'm on the ground, I'm a little bit more focused overall. And I just, for me, that's the, the, that's probably the main reason it works well for me or it, or I'm attracted to that style of hunting is because I actually stay freaking focused, <laughs> you know, not just, <laughs> not just like, Oh, you know, like look over there at that plane. Oh, look at my phone. Oh, where could we hunt tonight? You know, like I just can't lock in, but on the ground, I, I definitely feel like for me, you know, it works, it works well, but anyway. Yeah. So as far as West Virginia goes, what was your strategy once you got there? So you went elk hunting for most of September or the whole later part of September? Yeah, I went from September, I think the season opened the third, but I packed in on the second and went to the 20 something. And then I came back home for a little bit and then went to Illinois for like four days and then went, oh, then went to West Virginia. And the West Virginia trip was mostly, uh, it was, it was a scouting trip was what it was. Cause I'm going back down in November and I wanted to learn what, and also I've only, when I was down there last year, I just hunted like kind of the open coal mine type stuff, autumn all bushes, all that. And I was like, I want to see if getting in the timber, if I can use some of my stuff that I've used in Pennsylvania to do there, which is, this is, you know, much even steeper country. And it's different because, you know, in Pennsylvania and, and Ohio and these other places I've hunted, a lot of the ridges have different bench systems and fingers that are coming out of it where what I've learned in West Virginia is it's like straight up and straight down. There's like the points will have like some like variation you can get on. And then the side hills are literally just straight up and straight oh, yeah. down it's, it's with maybe crazy. like a 10 yard wide bench. That was like an old logging road or cold. I don't know what kind of roads they were like years ago. And that was really interesting to me. Cause I was like, everybody's hunting on the top. So I was like, what if I hunt the side hills? Like I do. Well, that was a challenge yeah. that, uh, so I was in there just trying to find acorns. Uh, I was looking for white oaks and I never found any white oaks, but I found some red oaks they were feeding on and uh, I'd bumped some deer, um, had some black bears feed up next to me about 18 yards, um, which was cool. And just really just started going through. It took me until day two and a half really to find like good sign that I was looking for because I, I had my saddle and stuff with me the whole time. I was like, if I find hot sign, I'll set up. But if not, I'm, my time's better spent just walking. Mm -hmm. And so I never ended up setting up, but I did throw some cameras out and just found some really good spots. I think, um, with my rut mind that, uh, I think would do, do well. Um, one place that I was, so I, the one thing I was focused on was a lot of terrain, just kind of looking with that exaggerated terrain. Okay. This is probably going to funnel deer movement down even more. So, so I found a place where four ridges converged at one point and there was kind of like a, look like a trail there with some bushes and stuff on top. And, and I marked a pin and I got there and it was, 
it was like I, I just got like hot and bothered when I <laughs> saw it. Like you know, like the there was a big autumn bush with like there was a scrape under it with the licking branches like the size of two of your fingers just snapped off and shredded. And, and I'm like, this is it. And that's like a there's no trees around at all. It's just all bushes and grass and and um, some golden rods. And I'm like, this is going to be a ground setup sort of ambush spot there. You know, tuck yourself back into one of these bushes and uh hunt that way and that was that was really cool so i ended up i put a camera up there and i i had to like do some weird stuff to get it to work on these bushes but i like have it all strapped up and and paracorded and all this stuff to get it angled right and i'm like well one bear even sniffs on it wrong it's gonna it's gonna not it's gonna be gone but uh i'm I'm gonna try it so that was kind of kind of my plan and i found i found too that they liked bedding on the tops out of the timber a little bit more than i expected just from the standpoint it's so thick that they had that security so they were going more so off that security than the the wind advantages of the wind and thermals on those ridges and so i tested it i put a cell camera on this spot inside what i thought was kind of a bedding area there and it was just like a faint trail and then a main trail and i built a scrape in the center of it and by the next day i had probably a six-year-old buck that was at noon walking through through there and it was just you know he was definitely in his bedroom you know so that was that was kind of some confirmation there of what i was seeing but it took a few days of of walking around and stuff to kind of get the lay of the land and also it helped you know i wasn't hunting with josh there but learning from him helped so much with kind of what those deer are doing um, but he, he told me, he's like, I don't want to, he's like, I'm not, I don't want to tell you too much because I want to see if you can teach me something based off your, mm-hmm. you know, your way of looking at the woods and not, you know, kind of taint your experience on, on trying to figure it out on your own. So that's, that's kind of how that went. But yeah, that's awesome. I, I love Josh. I love hanging out with him, talking to him. He's a, he's an awesome dude. He like, I don't, I don't know. I just really, really appreciate that friendship. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, no, he's an awesome dude. Yeah. What about um, betting on the top versus betting with the wind and thermal advantage? That's something you mentioned. Talk about yeah. that a little bit more because I find it really interesting. Like, you know, there's definitely resources out there that will say, you know, betting in hill country looks like this. And it's like, it doesn't always it's really no it really is pretty variable and i was just talking to jake about this a couple days ago it's it's interesting to me where you know one buck will be betting you know in a clear cut the next buck will be bedded in the most open timber in the world one will be bedded way up high one will be bedded on the side hill one will be bedded at the lowest bench you know and it's all totally different i think that's the one thing that you know those of us that hunt hill country big timber settings struggle with constantly is like what are they doing in my area and i think that the answer is is just try to get as many examples whether that's off-season scouting or in-season scouting as to what beds look like in your particular area that you're focusing on but what you just said is proof yet again that there's like you know another example of how deer bed differently in every hill country situation talk about that bedding area a little bit more yeah 
No, I'm glad you brought that up because so the, the way I look at it is I look at where the highest percentage odds of deer to be bedded. So like, you know, a lot of times that is, you know, in that upper one third, you know, the typical that you see, you know, with the wind coming over its back and the thermals coming up, you know, the picture perfect situation. So a lot of times I'll start my scouting by checking those places out. And that's more in like just strictly big timber hill country. But as soon as I start seeing clear cuts thrown in the mix, that changes that a little bit. I'll start walking the edges of those clear cuts and seeing if I start finding big rubs or scrapes on the outside of it. That's letting me know that there's a buck living in there. That's, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the way I look at it. And I don't even care to find a specific bed. I want to know that they're in there or like he's, he's using that. And that kind of gives me a starting point. But one thing that I've learned and I've really paid attention to over the, the recent years is some deer in areas i believe that they like to bed with cover more so than they do wind so like if you have a ridge and you have the east facing side and you have a west wind and you know they should be on that side if you think of you know how the i guess everyone talks about it or what you see a lot of a lot of scenarios but if the west side is covered in mountain laurel i'm putting my money that there's going to be a buck bedded there versus on that open side even if the the wind's not perfect for them and mm-hmm. and i found that over and over again or even there's a uh, an area i'm hunting that i learned actually from where my buck died last year so he ran into a patch of golden rods in this bottom and i thought he was bedding up on this ridge and he ended up you know, we jumped him and at that he was bedded down there and then he ended up dying, you know, only 20 yards later in that goldenrod patch. And then this summer I'm like, I want to go back in there again and see. And I jumped a bucket like 15 yards in that same goldenrod patch. I'm like, Hmm. So I actually put a camera up on it, uh, just, to just to see, I haven't been in there to check it, but, uh, I just want to learn on it. And actually tonight, after we get done with this, this podcast, I plan on going in there and there's this little, where they come out of the golden rod, they cross this little Creek and they come out. If they, if they leave the bedding area that way, then there's there, I found a scrape that was just out, just outside of the site of the golden rod patch where they wouldn't be able to see us. So I'm planning on setting up on that, uh, tonight and being able to kind of test that a little bit and see what, you know, these deer are doing, but that's an, an example of, you know, depending on who you talk to, they're like, oh, my area is, you know, bucks never bed in bottoms. And I see that a decent amount in a lot of areas that I'm in. And and sometimes like why I like to hunt crick bottoms during the rut is because the does, if, if it's a thick crick bottom, you got buckthorn and all these invasive species and stuff that are down there. It creates this really good bedding habitat. They got water right there. They have everything. And that changes things up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So there's you know, again, so for like the listener to take out of this is like, there's rules of thumbs that you can go by to start, but also kind of just think about how your area lays out and be like, all right, if I was a, a, a buck, like where would I feel the safest? Like how, what, what does that look like? Is it something that's, you know, maybe there's a spot that is super noisy to get into so they can hear everybody coming for a ways the wind might not be right, but they'll, They'll be able, it sounds like freight train comes through the woods if you're trying to get into that spot. Mm-hmm. And that's that's what I've come to learn. And there's other, you know, spots that I'll find, like you said, deer bedded in the wide open timber where they're they're relying all on visual and wind at that point because they just have they're like, Oh, I can just bomb down off over this hill and uh, you know, be out of sight and you, you even if you have a rifle, you know, they'll be they'll be swerving in and out and you can't catch them at that point. Yeah. 
and uh, they, they, they know the best spots to, to survive. And it's, it's to try to, it's hard to let go of what you think, you know, sometimes, and just let the deer teach you what, what they're doing. And every area is different. I mean, even in Pennsylvania, where I hunt the most at, I can go an area that's a few miles away and it'd be look, it'd be different, you know? So that's, that's something that I've learned. And I try to take that to wherever I go now that I've been hunting more States and just try to let the deer teach me. And that's why I'm uh, just a huge proponent, no matter what time of year it is of walking around and scouting and trying to see it for myself rather than just going in completely blind and setting up mm-hmm. and hoping for something. I'd rather see something for myself. And, you know, the other day when I got back from West Virginia, I was like, man, I'm, you know, even though that, even though I know it's super early, I still get this like anxiety sometimes of like, I feel behind. I don't know what's going on. And it's like, all right, trust, trust what you know. And I went in and, and I bumped a couple bucks out and I was like, you know, yeah, that kind of sucks at the moment, but it's like, all right, got a little bit of confirmation there. Why were they bedded there? What's kind of the, the situation. And, and I think tomorrow morning, um, one of my setups is going to be at a spot where I had bumped a deer, uh, just last week. But I, I think that the conditions are, are right to go in and, and, and hunt that again. And, and I think that that helped give me some, by j- bumping that deer, that gave me some confidence in that, uh, in the way that setup's going to be. So it's kind of a long winded answer, but that's kind of how I look at betting. Um, and it's not always perfect. Yeah. I, I think it's a great answer. I mean, the, what you said about just every spot looks different from one to the next. It's, it's so true. I mean, I've been hunting a lot more timber the last few years and it's just really crazy to see that different preference and you know where you'll see sign in one spot where you know you'll jump deer in a different spot and I mean even sometimes on the same piece so like I was scouting a new area in Ohio this uh February with my buddies Ben and Keith and this is a just a huge piece of public land with not very much access on it and from one end to the next, the difference in where we were seeing sign was so different. At one point, early on, we were seeing all this deer sign, buck sign, way, way down low, and way above it, there's much bigger hills where, you know, in theory, the the bucks are going to be spending more time up high. Well, there was tons mm-hmm. of this sign way down in these little, like, foothills, I guess, for lack of a better term, of the bigger, you know, hill or mountain, whatever you want to call it. And that's where there was some sign. And then later we jumped a bunch of deer off some super open stuff, but we also jumped deer in the middle of a clear cut. And it's just like, you look at all three of those different things and they're so different. And then, you know, as far as terrain goes too, I often, you know, see these tendencies in, in, uh, hill country where it seems like a lot of times, you know, the, the big long ridge that kind of juts out a little bit further into the creek or you know kind of has a 360 degree view around it like that's kind of like the spot that I like like if you take a a Y of a creek and that ridge that's in between it I love that mm-hmm. I could always call those yes like I, a, a middle ridge that middle ridge man that that's the spot that's like one of my favorite areas to target but then like another day we were scouting in a different area this off season and we found like 
three, I think we found three sheds on this tiny little ridge that was tucked way back in all the other ridges, you know, almost hidden to where really I don't even know that I would call it like a secondary ridge just by looking at it on the map. Like it barely had a little hump on it and they were just bedded out there apparently a lot at least two seasons ago because all the, the three sheds we found were all old. And I know that area gets shed hunted. I know it gets hunted, you know, it's like, so it's kind of interesting. It just really is depend depends, I think, on the deer, on the situation, on the food sources, and that's why, you know, scouting off season and in season, I think, is so important because you're just combining all that knowledge and saying, you know, I know they have spent time here. Let me go check it. And like you said, you find that buck sign coming out of there, you know he's living in there right now. And then you just kind of chip yep. away at that. And then you start strategizing your, your setups around where you found that fresh sign. But I've yeah. And, and no, you're so, you you made a good point too, about like the scouting. So like, I'm a huge proponent of scouting in the spring and I, that's where I put the most of my miles on, but it's not like an end all be all. It's uh basically I'm giving myself really good starting points for when the season comes so that I can go in and confirm and be able to see. And then also like just, I use a lot of historical data, especially in areas that don't have big mass crops. So like areas that are, that don't have oaks that are just like browse deer, basically like a lot of times they'll have historical trends that, you know, scrapes will get hot at the same time every year, or there'll be doe groups that are bedded in the same areas that come in at the same time. I try to use that stuff, but it's like a combination of all these little aspects and, and different spokes of the wheel kind of give me the, the idea of how, how I'm going to set up. And, and I'd say probably most of the time I'm wrong, but that's, but that's where, you, you know, I just keep, keep trying it and keep going. And, and, you know, a guy messaged me on Instagram today and was saying, Hey, you know, I'm trying to get into this big wood stuff and I'm trying to learn all this, but everywhere I think a buck's bed and he's not like, what do I need to do different? I was like, keep trying, just keep going to more places. Like just that's, you know, just keep looking more because like that, that's exactly, that's all I do is just keep going and keep trying and, 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 you, they're there somewhere. You yep. just got to find them. Yep. And I think a lot of it too comes down to conditions for that day even. So you had mentioned like um, the the bedding area where it's super loud to get to. You know, mm -hmm. I, I like to think of a spot like that as a bed that a deer takes advantage of on a calm day's conditions because if he's got windy conditions why would he bed there he's burying himself yeah. to where he can't hear or see anything potentially where stuff's moving around it's loud but on a calm day on the other hand where you got a frost you know he can lay there and he can hear other deer he can hear predators you know he can hear everything and i think that you know looking at those very specific conditions plays a lot into where a deer is going to bed that specific day and you know, a few years ago, it felt like the buck bed conversation like took off. It went crazy. It was like we we had started like learning from Dan, and then it felt like you know everybody kind of just started talking buck bedding. And I definitely think there's a lot of value in looking for buck bedding. But as you know, you know as well as I do, or anybody that hunts big timber, it's like. Buck bedding is not as consistent in a lot of big timber settings as it is in a place that has limited cover or a cattail marsh or, you know, an Iowa creek bottom or something or river bottom. It's like those areas have limited cover. So the deer 
tend to go right to those like places that you know nobody ever goes to but Mm -hmm. in big timber there's a lot of places that nobody ever goes to it's just you know a lot bigger scale a lot more spread out and they have so many options and it it really i think comes down to like learning what they're doing in a specific area or learning a specific bucks patterns which something you do way more than me and i'm curious about like i don't have cameras i don't you know i don't like follow any specific like deer or anything but i'm super interested in that so tell Mm me more about like your historical data and your strategy for keeping tabs on specific things and what exactly you're looking for like wind um conditions like what are some of those things that you're trying to take note of that way you can hopefully use his pattern against him to intercept him yeah so what i like what i do with that when i'm like so i keep a i keep a spreadsheet of specific bucks that i'm looking for and i log either personal sightings which are very rare but mostly trail camera data in there and then i associate it with the weather, what what the weather conditions are, what the wind was doing, and the dates. Like mm-hmm. those are the biggest things that I do, and I'll look at it. Um, you know, I'll log all that data and make it where I can filter by different things and see, okay, when you know, what is this deer looking at for as far as daylight? What's he moving? What direction is he heading? You know, that kind of gives me a lot of assumptions um, for betting, but it really depends on the time of year on how I'm looking at that. Like there's certain deer that I don't care to even figure out what he's doing early season. I have a pretty good beat on him, what he's going to do during the rut as far as year after year, say, you know, you can almost clock it between October 20th and 24th. He's going to show back up, you know, he's going to show back up in that area. And so like I'm looking at what the conditions are and then also the date with that. Mm -hmm. And then kind of at that point, that's, that's a situation where I don't need fresh sign for me to try it yeah. to go in and hunt it and you know the, the situation last year with the opening day buck i shot in pennsylvania i had no data on that deer from that year um that i knew of at that time my cameras did but i hadn't been in there and checked them i went off of last year's data of knowing that he liked the southwest wind and there was a fresh logging cut that i was assuming that he was feeding in and i had cameras lined up across these ridges and he liked one trail that he would come down and I was like, okay, you know, this is a a condition where I'm going to act on it with a temperature drop. There was like 20 degree temperature drop. And I was like, that's a, you know, morning sit. And he came through at eight 30 in the morning. Um, so like they don't always work out that way, but that was just an example of how that deer is one that I've kind of learned with that. Now there's another buck that I've been hunting for three years now. And when I say I'm, I I never hunt, I never really just, I'm not exclusive. So yeah. like when I say I'm hunting a deer, I'm hunting him, but I'll shoot another deer. Right. So that's kind of how I, him. yeah, yeah. I, I kind of, uh, you know, he's, he's in the background there. I know, you know, kind of have an idea of what he's doing sometimes or, uh-huh. or playing with him a little bit, but there was a deer that on October 30th and 2020 is big 10 point that I had it. I had him at 15 yards. I didn't get a shot. I was on the ground. And as I was moving through and he was chasing a doe, through and then i had a camera that was right below there and what i learned was on october 30th and 31st two years in a row i always had pictures of does running i never really got the bucks on the camera um, but i'd get the does running through and doing this and i was like hmm and i've bumped this doe group and i have a decent idea where they're bedding on the edge of this old cut and i'm like 
okay, so this year, right around that time frame, I'm going to spend at least three days hunting in that location, you know, whether on the ground or in a tree. And because that's a historical data and he, you know, knows those does, I know he knows those does come in or one of those does comes in around that time and he's going to check on them. So that was, and, and I also got, he like took that doe away and, uh, I never saw him again. I hunted in that area, nothing for the next few days. And then he showed up on camera in the middle of night, coming back from the direction that they headed. And I'm like, well, he got done with her and now he's moving on. You know, he might've been locked down with her for a few days or whatever. And that's the kind of data that I'm looking at and, and, and paying attention to, to, to make these assumptions as I go in. But there's also points where I, I need to also know those does are still in there. You know, those don't always just be in the same exact spot mm -hmm. every day, all days of the year. So, you know, okay, there was, you know, colder weather that day. There was, you know, this type of wind. So I'm looking at all that stuff and all that stuff's kind of got to line up for me to, to make a play based off of that historical data versus the fresh sign aspect where it's more of me kind of just moving along until I see what looks good and I'll set up that way. But the historical yeah. side of it's a little bit more, detailed and thought out as far as like strategic, I guess is what I'm looking yeah. for on how I'm going to, to hunt that. But I, I definitely like, there's also a, a deer that, that I might hunt tomorrow morning that this I've ran cameras in there. I used to hunt it a lot and then I just continue to run cameras, but I haven't hunted it. And I've had pictures of this one deer for four or five years. He's old as dirt. And I saw that he was still alive. And I'm like, I, I think his home range is just getting smaller. And I'm like, I, two years ago, I had pictures of him on the scrape right outside of this cut. In the morning on October, it was like 15th or something on right after a rain and cold front. And that's what we have the conditions of now. And I'm like, same wind. It's like, it's worth throwing a, you know, throwing a couple sits at and seeing. Yeah. So that's, that's some of the things that I look at when I'm hunting a, a specific deer or paying attention to specific deer tendencies. I think that's sweet. I, I just don't do that. You know, like I only do yeah. the, the fresh sign thing, which, you know, has its advantages and disadvantages for sure. Um, but you know, I don't really live in a place where I'm close to like, I don't really have a good opportunity to, like, keep tabs on anything anymore. I'm a non-resident hunter only. I only hunt whitetails, like, non-resident, right? Like, yeah. I, I don't have a home base anymore. If anything, it's it's Ohio, but even then, it's like, I'm not totally sure I'm going to even get to hunt there this season. Like, I don't have anything locked in, you know. I, 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 will, I will, like, muzzleloader hunt there with my buddies, but you know, bow hunting wise, I don't know that I'll even make it there. So I don't have like a home base where I can keep tabs on things like that, which I kind of like in a way, you know, it, it keeps it pretty careless out there in, in, in a night, in a good way. I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean it in a way of like, I have no stress. I have no agenda. I have no, you know, um, I guess expectation. So when I go, it's just like walk around, look for the sign, try to spot one, you know, up moving on his feet or bedded or something and just be looking for deer and looking for sign. And it's gotten to the point where it's like, um, I feel really confident doing that. Like I'm like 
you know, decided yesterday or kind of like confirmed this morning that I'm going to hunt Minnesota. So I'm going to start looking at the map now. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. I don't even have a, like, I don't even have a plan at all, but I like that because I've, I've found that for me that works really well, but I am sometimes jealous of, you know, being able to just consistently watch deer year in and year out because there's definitely a lot to be learned there. Um, and just continuing yeah. to hunt places year in and year out is, is a lot of fun too. You know, it just, it, it has pros and cons too there because the one thing that I've noticed hunting, um, like I've hunted the most in Ohio or Iowa is you do start to set an expectation. You know, you start to like think, oh, I know exactly what's going to go on here. And then as it doesn't play out that season, like it did the two seasons before, or, you know, five seasons before you start to get frustrated at it where, when you're in a new area, just looking for fresh sign, your mind's clear and you're just walking around looking for good, good sign. But it, it is interesting to see how consistent patterns are. And that's something I'm just never, yeah. I'm just never going to, unless I'm hunting with somebody that, you know, I'm filming somebody that's, you know, spending more time in an area. I'm really never going to have that, you know? Yeah. No. And, but the, the one thing that I, I will say is like, for me too, in the big wood settings where if it's a, a majority of like oak ridges, that mm-hmm. changes so much that you have to throw another aspect in there of like, okay, was this sign dropped when there was a lot of acorns that year? Was it like a bumper crop or was it just a couple trees or was there none? You know, like that, I, I did that before where I found sign in the spring that these tops are just destroyed and there was scrapes and there was rubs and I went there and hunted. It took me days of, because I just went in and hunted off that historical data only. And it was not the right move because there was no acorns Mm -hmm. and they were on, they were eating the black cherries and the beech nuts that were down almost to the bottom of the hill. And you know, they were way, I was way out of the game. Like there wasn't even a deer, you know, that even thought about walking up there. And that that was, you know, that was where it kind of bit me in the ass a little bit. Mm -hmm. Like I, I learned from that. And, but there's also the aspect that I I love this, the way that I do it that way. And I also love when I go to like New York or if I go to somewhere else and I just go up and just do it like and hunt it kind of like you do. And that was, that's really fun too. It's just, I I do like building this like kind of history with it. And I've learned like when you, when you can like learn an area really well, it's, it's fun. But Mm -hmm. the, where there's another negative to that, what I'm dealing with now is I'm going through my own mental thought processes. I'm like, is now the right time to move into this area? I think I know where they're, am I going to spook them doing this? Am I going to, where, when I'm hunting a new spot, I don't think of those things. Mm -hmm. And, uh, that gives me more freedom and a little bit more fun. Mm-hmm. I will say that when it, when it comes down to it. So there's, there's positives and negatives to it. And it, it's, it takes, you know, as much as like, I'm, I'm sitting here, the one talking about it, I struggle with it myself and trying to, trying to learn how to let go of some of those, you know, insecurities with it mm-hmm. and just hunt some of the times too. So that's a, yeah. yeah, that's, that's, that's and, and I, I actually feel so it's funny you say that insecurities. I feel like this is something that I've probably talked about it before on the podcast, but something that I feel like I've been dealing with lately and lately is in 2020 and 2021, a little both, not every single hunt, not every single time I'm in the woods with my bow, but overall I feel like 
those two seasons compared to 17, 18, 19, are, they look a lot different as far as how aggressive. And I think a lot of it comes down to that word you said, insecurity, of the fear of failure. And what ultimately ends up happening is I hunt less aggressively because I'm afraid that, you know, the buck that I've got, you know, in my head is here. He's a big one because I can see his track. I can see his rub. I can see his scrape. You know, his, his sign is here. In my head, I know there's a big buck here. So then I start to panic, like, well, how many bucks are even here? Well, what if this is the only one? So then I start tiptoeing around a spot. And actually, when I was hunting Pennsylvania, and I, I probably talked to you about this before, but it really kind of pisses me off how like tip how tiptoey I was hunting that ridge because I had found that ridge early in the hunt, and it was like no brainer. There's big. There's a buck. There's. I I still to this day believe that there was probably two or more bigger bucks than the one I ended up killing on that ridge because the sign was insane. And I remember telling you about what I was seeing, yeah. and you were like, yeah, dude, like keep hunting there. But what ended up happening was is Ted and I killed that buck right beside the pin that I pinned the week before I was going there. Like on my way there, you know, scouting on the map, I pinned exactly where that buck came from. And it took until the sixth day for me to actually push in there and the only reason that we even did that day is because we saw somebody else sitting further away from the action and we just kind of like moved back to where we had been that morning and just pushed a little bit pushed a little bit more aggressively than we had that morning but we were about to do the same thing on day 6 but finally we got aggressive and made that move and then boom there's a buck and it's just you know something that happens you know, it's happening more as I hunt the big timber. And I think a little bit of that is because in my head, it's like, well, that's not, that's not Iowa. You know, I know in Iowa, like when I was a resident there, in my head, there was a big buck behind every tree because on every piece of public land that I was on, there probably was a buck that I was going to shoot. And while that may not be true in or there might not be as many per square mile in Pennsylvania or Ohio or West Virginia or whatever. They're still out there. And like, I get in my head that there's only that one buck and it's like, dude, how about like you just drive over to the next block and there's going to be, you know, two or three more over there and probably two or three more over there. And what something that really helped me gain confidence this year for that was just how many sheds I found during Turkey season in the different States that I hunted. It's like when you look at those sheds, you're like, okay, in my head, these are places that I've, I've hunted close to for deer, but I've never hunted right at them. I know there's big bucks in the places that I've hunted for deer because I've seen them. But now mm. that I'm turkey hunting and finding sheds in all these other places, it's like, oh, okay, there actually are more big bucks here than I think. I need to get more <laughs> aggressive. And, and, and basically, I've tiptoed too much the last two seasons to the point where I'm trying to like get back to my, my careless, almost careless on the verge of careless hunting style, where it's just like ram around and just use your gut instinct to know when to move, when to not. And if something bad happens, like you bump a big buck, is it really that bad? You know, cause you look, cause you, you look back on those situations. Like how many of those bucks have, you know, me or my buddies killed over the last few years that we've actually bumped. So it's like, is it the end of the world? It's like, actually, probably is nothing but a good thing, you know? So 
I don't know. Yeah, that's, no, that's a um, long, that's, long-winded like side tangent no, there. But I know I think that's helpful for for people, including myself, to to listen to because like you just you get into that, you start doing the tiptoeing method like you're talking about. And Greg Litzinger said it to me. Uh, we did a podcast not that long ago, and Greg was like, he's like, what you do? He goes, first of all, think about it. What you do in October doesn't going to matter in November anyway. Even if you did bump that deer wherever, like once or things start testosterone levels changing he's not thinking about that anymore no. like don't hell no and and if i really look at the amount of spots that i've scouted and you can find a good deer in any spot i believe that and 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 you know most areas i'm saying not every ridge but right every area and the amount that i've scouted like if i happen to for some reason every deer every buck in one area just saw me coming and they and they went to the next county like i have other places I right, can go. Right. like i'm not i'm not so set on one deer that it's like i'm gonna cry if I, that yeah. doesn't happen or like i'm gonna get worked up like that's not it and that's again we got to remind yourself when you're doing that and that's why i was talking about like tonight hunting that spot that's on the edge of those i'm like i don't have you know you know what if i get too close what if i do that i'm like well who cares? Like, yeah, it is what it is. Like if I don't see anything, well, that's, that's fine. You know, just keep moving on and find the next spot. Like yeah. I can't think of a year where I've had one hunt that I was too aggressive and it ruined my whole season that I might as well just went home, hung the bow up, you know, started hanging out at the bar every night. Like <laughs> I, I never, I never had that, <laughs> you know, that hunt. So like when you put it that way and not try to be so, worked up over some of those things I, I think you know that doesn't mean be so careless that you're not paying attention right. to you know the the details as you're doing it and like you said using your instinct and like okay maybe there is a buck in there maybe i don't want to go with my wind blowing right at mm-hmm. it maybe i want to circle around mm-hmm. if i'm going to scout that or what you know there's it's not being completely careless it's not just, at all it's almost um, like you're getting it's almost like you're getting extra focused on the fine details while still being you know aggressive in your moves like for example if you're looking at the next five days of the conditions i think at least for me what works best is if i really break down those conditions and i say okay this area pairs well with this condition this area pairs well with this condition and the things that i'm looking at as far as those fine details are like wind direction wind speed, when it's picking up in the day, you know, what's the peak of the wind, you know, and that's all going to dictate how, how and when I move into an area. So for example, if it's, you know, if it's leaf matter that I'm moving through and it rained the day before, it's like, well, now I know that that next day I can get, or the night before it rained, I know that next day I can get super aggressive in, in this one particular area that would be otherwise super loud to get to. You know, there's also certain logging roads, for example, in a lot of big timber settings that you know you can move down those even when it's a dry, calm condition because you don't have as much stuff to step on versus, yeah. you know, the other area that's big timber, if it's or, or nothing but hardwood timber that's mature and you've got a, a big uh, base of leaf matter that's all dried out and it's calm well you can't walk through that quietly you're going to blow a lot of things from a long way away so you pair those conditions to the situation and then you just get you know again hyper focused on that aspect of it 
but then once you're actually out there, just get to the spot. You know, it's like, what's the harm in getting there? The only thing that you could really mess up is not ever getting there to see if in fact this is a place that you want to hunt or not. But I do that, you know, it's just like, it's just like that Pennsylvania situation that I, I talk about that hunt so much because I feel like I could have went in there for three days and hunted it super aggressive and for one probably would have at least got an opportunity or, you know, kicked something around that would have given me some more info or I would have hunted it and not seen the fresh sign continue to pop up and then moved on. And I would have at least learned a different place. But like I look at my Pennsylvania (laughs) experience, it's like, damn, I only hunted that one spot that whole time, which I don't always do that. But in that particular situation, it felt like the right move. And and it ended up being, you know, a good move because I got a a chance at a buck and had an awesome hunt with, with Ted back there. But like, you know, at the end of the day, like man just being a little bit more aggressive i'd learn more in the long long term and and i think another mistake that i make just in general is like i get hung up on like too many specifics sometimes and don't just get to that spot you know like Mm -hmm. i have an x on the map that i like and then i tiptoe my way all the way there and then i waste too much time when it's like that's really the only place i cared about but in the on the way there i just took too much time focusing on so it's just like I could have been in and out of here, but instead I spent half the day just doinking around looking for, you know, trying to make something up when I knew, you know, that particular ridge was where I was going. Why would I hesitate? Why do I spend so much time? So it's like just getting better at just cutting ties with expectations and just get in there, man. Like, just get in there. It's, yeah. it's When I do that, it works better, like the hands down. And I feel like the last couple of years have just been hesitant. I, man, I did that in West Virginia when I talked about that, that spot that I found with all the ridges converging. Literally, that was the first spot I had marked on the map. That was, I, I my pin from where that scrape was, with, was within 25 yards. I mean, <laughs> it was right, and that was the last spot I went to, and I had to leave. Like, I literally had to, I dropped that camera and had to book it back because I was late to, to leave. And I was mm-hmm. like... You know, why did I wait until the last day? Yep. You know, I could have actually like made something happen or threw a sit at it or, uh-huh. or you know, and, and I was like, but I was, you know, I was just like, ah, oh, well this, and then I came again, came up with all these reasons why not to. And it was stupid because yeah. it, it would have saved me so much of other things. I mean, I got to learn a lot, so there's not, not really wasted time there, but you know, with, with you when you're talking about not getting to see other places, I will say that I think that. The time you were here this time of year. Yep. It was, you know, about, about, yeah, you know, like the next week or so is roughly what it was. Yeah. So, roughly one of the slower times mm-hmm. um, for hunting the big woods, and you're finding that kind of sign. So, I think you made a good move being in that location. Yeah. But I understand the idea of being more aggressive in that location that you could have, you know, you could have made that happen earlier or, you know, learned more about it, whatever the, the situation would have been. But, um, maybe you wouldn't have got as cool video though yeah. of shooting off the ground at that close. So maybe that's a, a, a blessing there. Yeah. No, oh, I, and, I, and I mean, I, I totally still, understand. I still killed a buck in a state that, you know, I've wanted to kill a buck in my whole life. Like it, it, it's still something that I'm really proud of. I just feel that that mentality I had and continued to kind of let, like it's happened. It's happened in Ohio the last couple of years too the same thing where I like get so hyper-focused on this spot because I feel 
that there's a big buck in it. And like, and there is because I, I see them, but it's like, <laughs> I can't quite just like make that or, or I'm struggling to make that extra step. And it's like with, with a gun or when I'm elk hunting or hunting a different species, it's, it's completely different. So this is something that I talked about a little bit with the guys last night that I was podcasting with. And I'm curious to hear your thoughts on this because the topic that we're on now is pretty cool. Like that hesitant, like overthinking it kind of right. Yeah. So when you go elk hunting, it's, it's like newer to both you and I, like, you know, I've only been doing it for four years. You've probably been doing it a few, a couple more maybe, or three or four yeah, years, five somewhere years. in there, five years. Yep. So we're about in the same, in the same, you know, experience there. When you go elk hunting, it's just like, well, I don't really know that much about this. So, like, I'm going to look at the map. I'm going to pick a spot. And I'm going to go straight to it. And you never one time can, you're not worried about bumping the big bull. You're not worried about, like, leaving your scent in there. Like, all these things, you just toss them right out the window. And you just go right for it. And you hunt it down. Yeah. But then when you go deer hunting, all of a sudden you're just like, oh, dude. Like, I, it's like you know too much almost because you have you, some, You're exactly right. And you start overthinking it to the point where you're like, well, what if, well, what if I go in there and he's actually a little bit further and there's a small buck and I bump him? Or what if I bump the does? And like, what are you worrying about all those things for? If it was an elk hunt or if it was a mule deer hunt or a pronghorn hunt or whatever, you would just go straight to it and you wouldn't worry about it. And if it didn't work out, you'd go to the next spot. Usually, though, you rare, I mean, I've honestly, like you said earlier, too, I've rarely ever bumped something up so bad. I don't think I ever have, to be honest. I, and, and my style is pretty damn aggressive. I don't think I've ever bumped something so bad that I wouldn't go back to it. Like, probably even the next day, you know? So yeah. it's just like, what am I worrying about this so much for? Like, how can I just, like, let loose and get aggressive and, and feel... Again, not careless, but not caring about so many little factors. So when you go elk hunting, do you feel the same way? Is it the same for you where you're oh. just like, right to the X. You go right to it. <laughs> and it's simple. Yeah, it's simple. I go to go to the X and I, I think about, okay, what's my wind doing? I'll throw milkweed as I'm running and kind of use that to help me with my direction. But like, other than that, there's not, there's not overthinking. I, and I go back to like when I spring bear hunted, I've mm -hmm. never bear hunted in the West ever in my entire life, which it was, it was funny. I kept saying it when I was there, I was like, I feel like I know one thing bear like to eat green stuff. So look for green stuff. And, <laughs> and then there wasn't any green stuff. So I was like, I just kept going to different areas and, I'm like, okay, well, I crossed that off. There was no bear sign there. I'll go to the next spot. And then yep. eventually I found a bear and I shot the bear. So yep. it was like, it's so simple when you think about it that it's just, but when it comes to deer, it's like my mind is like going in 17,000 directions. I'm in my truck and I'm stressed because I don't know which way to go. Do I go to this spot? Do I go to that spot? And, and it's your, your man, your, your acts absolutely spot on. Or there's like places that, I'll think are too easy like to access or do things, but I'm like, the sign is telling me like, why not test it? Why not try it? You know, there's, I, I, I just was talking to my dad about that last night and we were, we were going through it and he's like, me and him both found this spot in the winter time. And he's like, do you put a camera there? I was like, no, did you? He's like, no. I'm like, it literally take us like 20 minutes to do it. It's very easy. Like, or like, or go check it out or see uh -huh. what the sign's looking like. And it's just, Again, you, you get to that, that overthinking aspect and it's, uh, you know, when you were talking about like 
the conditions of walking in going a little bit back there like or going into a spot with it's windy or you know rainy and that's that's something i've picked up a lot from my dad as he hunts off the ground as you and i've talked in the past mm-hmm. he like anytime there's higher winds um or if after it's raining he's just going on the ground and that's just what he does it's just simple it's like all right going on the ground doing this and then when it's you know it's a little bit louder maybe i'm gonna i'm gonna just get into a spot and sit there you know and that's kind of it's like okay that's not that hard to recognize that you, you really don't even need to look at a weather app. You just, just walk into the woods and <laughs> yeah. see what it's doing. Uh-huh. Am I stepping down and does it sound like it's echoing across the timber or is it like, am I, can I go kind of quietly? And it's mm-hmm. again, simplifying the things I think is where we all struggle. You and I will still struggle with oh, it yeah. even after oh, having yeah. this conversation, but it's, it's important to recognize it. And I think that's where it can can help you with it something there's two things about on on that topic too that for me would make it worse one if i hunted alone i would be paralyzed i don't know that i could i don't know that i could make a decision (laughs) i really don't you know if i only hunted alone and at home where like like if i had a slightly different situation where like let's say i lived in ohio and i had all this time to scout like i don't know how i would ever pick a spot for one and two I would just be so like back and forth that I would never decide of where to go. So that's one thing. Having a hunting partner has certainly helped me. And I got, I got, uh, I got a handful of them, but there's two guys that, within THP that are like masters at being careless. And Jake is number one. That dude does <laughs> not get like nothing ruffles his feathers. Never like to the point where it's concerning sometimes where you're like dude do you care about anything you know like you know and i mean i mean that the best way possible like i I, but it's it's nice when you have somebody like that um to just kind of like bring you back if you have a different personality or style even and it's not even like jake and i have pretty similar styles but it's the personality difference same thing with like ted my buddy keith my buddy ben like those guys are just like so much more um, able to just kind of go with the flow. There's two specific uh, specific examples I have from their elk hunting examples, but they're not that much different than a deer hunting example. So last year we walked into the area that Jake ended up killing a bull. I don't know if you've seen any of those videos yet, but we- yeah, actually just I just watched it like I don't know a few days ago. It was not long ago. It was- yeah, pretty awesome. Awesome. Yeah, so we we hiked in there that first day. It took way longer than what we thought it was going to, like way longer. And we got a later start that morning, and it took forever. It's starting to get dark, and it's like, man, we still got to go like way up the mountain before we're actually to where we want to go, and like we're not there. And you know, Jake had pretty limited time as is, and you know my other buddies are taking off work, so like we just didn't have a whole lot of time, and I was feeling stressed. And I had like, you know, four within, within striking distance of where we were currently, I think I had three places that I was interested in, but one was the best spot in my mind. Like no doubt, like that was the place I'd been looking at for multiple years, which we talk about in that video, or at least the other guys mentioned a couple of times, like, yeah, Zach's been looking at this for a while. And it's like, I really had been looking at that particular spot for a long time, but because things were taking longer than I thought. I was like, man, we should run up here. Like, what if we just get up here and then we'll be hunting, you know, 
first thing in the morning, maybe even a little bit tonight. But like, you know, if we try to go to that really good spot, then we're going to just be late. We won't start hunting until like tomorrow evening. But we're trying to decide what to do, and I'm kind of getting frantic in, in my brain. I'm just running all over the place, and I'll never forget it. And this is an underrated, like, thing that happened that we can't, or I did, we didn't film enough of it to necessarily show this, but we're all standing there trying to decide what to do. And Jake just looks at me, and he goes, well, where do you really want to go? And I was like, well, I really want to go up there. And he said, well, let's go there. He's like, if that's where you want to go, and you have the most confidence, like, who cares how long it takes to get there? And when he said that, it was just like weight off my shoulders. It was like, you're right. Like, you are absolutely right. And if you're okay with that, then I'm okay with that. But to be on that same page and him to kind of like bring me back to earth was like pretty, pretty damn big deal. And the same exact thing happened this year. I had a spot in mind that I had kind of, uh, I had, had looked at it. It's a long story, but I had I'd hiked up to this basin, and I'd looked at it quickly, but it was getting stormed on, and I was backpacking with my girlfriend, and I was getting stormed on, and I was like probably being close to risky, being up at tree line with the lightning and everything. Yeah. So I basically ran up there, got eyes on it, and was like, oh, hell yeah, that looks amazing, and it's super hard to get to. Like, we'll, we'll go in here. Well, we got a later start than we wanted because we had a reset day. We were like doing laundry, recording podcasts, like working and we're just cleaning everything back up, reorganizing, whatever. So we don't get to the, the place we were starting to hike in until dark. Then we hear a bull bugle like a mile from the truck. And it's like, well, do we go out? Do we stay here at the, you know, the, at the road and hunt right here close? Or do we hike way back in in the dark and, and go back in there? And Ben just... You know, he's another one of these guys that just, you know, helps me kind of not freak out of the moment. And I'm thinking to myself, like, I was really considering, like, well, I think we should just stay here. And Ben's just like, you know, he's like, I think we just go back to where we wanted to go. Because if we go up here, we've all we've done this with turkeys before. He's like, we've chased the turkey right off the main highway, right off the road. And we've been pissed off that we did that instead of just going back in there where we thought there'd be less pressured turkeys. We've chased that, you know, pressured bird all over the place. He's like, what if we do that with the elk? And then with limited time already, we don't even get back to where we want to hunt. I'm like, dude, great point. So it's like having a hunting partner to kind of keep you in check I think is super helpful too and then finally I think if I ran trail cameras it would be really bad for my health (laughs) my mental health (laughs) like I think that I would just overthink things even more because then I would do that like even more of like well I know there's a big buck in here and I gotta tiptoe you know I gotta start taking it easier where if I don't have that I have no expectation then when the buck comes in it's like I know right in that moment that's like that's a shooter or it's not. And there's no like there's no other factor. It's just right now I make that decision. So those those for me, those things help. Um I know there's disadvantages to that, but at the same time that definitely helps keep me a little bit more relaxed and um I just think in general I I wanna continue to like keep that in the front of my mind when I'm hunting this deer season and just see what the outcome is like just stay a hair more aggressive 
try not to overthink things and just always know that there's a there's a plan B, a plan C, a plan D, all the way to, I mean, however many times you want to run through the alphabet, I could probably come up with another option. So let's just be okay with that and hunt, you know, and not, not worry too much about it. It's kind of my objective this season. Oh, I, li- I like that. And the, the hunting partner thing is, is huge. And I, I don't, ra- I rarely hunt with people during deer season, mm-hmm. but it's also just the aspect of having those people I can call, mm-hmm. you know, at the end of the night or whatever that well, helped like me with dad. it. Like I have my buddy, Johnny, Johnny mm-hmm. Stewart, which you've, yep. I think you've had him on here before. Mm-hmm. And he's one of those ones. Like he'll always be like, I'll be like, ah, oh, you know, I'll start talking negative about something. He'll be like, Bo, don't cry over spilled milk. He's like, you, whatever happened, happened. Like, don't worry about it. Just move on. I'm like, all right. You know, and he helps me with that. And then there's my dad that helps me either confirm what I'm thinking or, but he's also honest enough with you, which is important to have a hunting partner to be honest with you, not just agree with you right? and be like, oh, you're not thinking of this right or you're you know you're overthinking it whatever and then my my cousin mason who just seems to be like careless not he's when i say again same thing like you said with jake is like not in a bad way like from the standpoint doesn't get worked up and he just and he's a killer i'm like all right i trust what he's saying and i just need to you know do this he's like well does the sign telling you that you need to be there yeah well then just go hunt it like go hunt it don't be like well you know maybe this or what you know so there's there's an aspect of where i really pay attention to a lot of those details and the conditions and all those things but also uh you need to make a decision you need to be able to have that decision making balance yeah exactly and for me i feel like that that balance kind of helps helps quite a bit but there was nothing more fun than when i went to new york last year never been there in my life i got there late um it was well after daylight and i just i just spent two hours driving roads looking just getting a lay layer land found a spot that i didn't even have i didn't have marked but there was like there's apple trees in the bottom and there's apples dropping and i got out of the truck and looked and i was like all right there's deer tracks in there well, they're probably coming off that hill, you know, so let me go up in here and hunt. And I went up and I just worked my way down through those. I found all these, this people sign on the top. I'm like, all right, let me go down the side hills. Found this little buck that was feeding there, decided I was going to shoot him, stalked in, shot him, packed him out. And it was like the most fun experience because I had no expectations. It's probably the smallest deer that I've shot in 10 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm actually just about to release the, the video on that hunt. And I was just like, it, but it was so much fun. Like, and I was like that, that aspect of, of hunting. And that's why I like going to new places too. Mm-hmm. Is just like when you don't have those expectations and it's as freeing. much as I love the trail cameras, it's just freeing and, yeah. and, and you just do whatever you wanted. Like I, um, actually my buddy texted me that morning. He's like, what do you, what's your goal to shoot up there? I said, future 120 and he starts <laughs> laughing and uh, i was and it was like like you know because they're they know that i'm always like trying to chase like big deer and yeah. stuff and, and they're like what, what do you mean like and i'm like i just want to have fun and and do that and to me it was like i don't care like I, i'm not a person me personally i don't have the same goals for every day or the same or or different areas like i just I go with the flow and kind of how I'm, I'm feeling about things. And, and, um, that's what works for me. Yeah. I'm not saying it works for everybody, but no, that, that's kind of, I, I, that's, it's, it's funny you say that. Cause I just said the same exact thing to those guys that I was talking to last night. Um, basically talking about how, you know, 
I'm always, every time I step into the woods, I'm going to the place that I think is the biggest, there's the biggest buck in the area, you know, that's my hope and my expectation. But, you know, if seven days go by and I haven't had a deer in bow range and all of a sudden, you know, something that I didn't think I was going to shoot before the trip walks to point blank and has no idea I'm there, I get drawn and, you know, I get a good clean shot at him. And my decision may change real quick, you know, and and how worked up I get changes. Like, yeah, there's, there's, there's a lot of times too, where like turkeys, different turkeys have like just made me lose my mind, like more than a big buck because (laughs) there's been places that I've hunted a damn turkey for weeks before I got an opportunity. So when he's finally coming down the trail, you know, strutting and gobbling, I'm losing my mind. Same thing goes for like a a deer in one particular area to the next or particular day to the next. You know, it's like if all of a sudden you've hunted eight days all day, every day, and you didn't even have a deer in range. And all of a sudden one that you didn't think you were going to shoot on day one comes down and he's got your heart rate going through the roof. You know, who cares then? So it's, I mean, that's all yeah that's all like you know personal but to me it's just every situation so different and i really do enjoy hunting different areas and i i would recommend even if somebody you know doesn't want to spend the money on a non-resident tag or you know the expenses that come with a non-resident hunting trip at least go hunt different areas within your state different public areas, you know, try for permission in different areas, whatever that may look like for your, for you. Like I would always recommend doing that because it, there is something to be said about just letting your mind go and just not getting rid of those expectations. And that, that really, I think opens up, I think, I honestly think it opens up the door to become a better hunter as well. You know, hunter, you know, in my opinion, what makes a good hunter is, just somebody that is committed to doing it and wants to learn as much as possible. Doesn't matter what you've shot. I mean, you could have never killed a deer in your life, but if you're super committed to learning more about it, I consider that person a good hunter. You know, that's somebody that's wanting to learn, wanting to think outside the box, wanting to do something different, improve their skills. So, you know, there's also the guy that's killed a bunch of, you know, high scoring deer that does the same thing year in and year out that kind of knows one thing so it's like you know you can weigh you can't really weigh success with the size of the deer or the success of how many deer you've shot it's just like you know you go learn and you want to learn more good hunter like period in my opinion but what the hell do i know (laughs) yeah no no and and i i look at it too like and again, I, I keep bringing up those examples like with my dad, but like say last year he was hunting a specific deer and he held out for that specific deer. Mm-hmm. But then there's other years, you know, he'll come back and he'll shoot a nice looking buck, but nothing, you know, crazy. And he'll, he's like, man, I grunted him in. He came in, the hair was on his back. He goes, I could barely stand in the tree. Like it was just <laughs> like that experience. And he's like, that's what, you know, that's what makes me shoot a deer is yeah. like, how that how it went down how you're going to remember that and there's there's so much to to pull from that and i i don't i don't wrong anybody that's like wanting to hunt just one deer all year and that's it if they're happy with how that goes that's fine it's just like at least at this point in my in my 
hunting career, if you want to call it. I just like having fun with it. And, and, and some of that is trying to figure out a specific deer. And then there's other aspects of it. That's just like, man, whatever just gets me worked up. And that's what's, you know, on that elk hunt, I, I had no business with only killing one elk before to be passing bulls, but I was at the beginning <laughs> and I was like, and, but I, but it, I was just having fun. I didn't want my hunt to be done. Yep. I just kept going. And then at the end, I couldn't buy one of those bulls back. You know, yeah. I was trying, I'm like, give me a rag horn, give me anything <laughs> you got. And I, I, you know, I couldn't find one, but, uh, I would have shot it at that point. And, uh, it's just, it's, it's funny how that, that works out in, in your head. And that's, what's cool about, about hunting and you have the ability to, to make those decisions for yourself. It don't matter what anybody else thinks. It's just kind of personal preference. Absolutely, man. Well, I think then what I'm getting out of this conversation is both you and I need to do our best to focus on fun, no matter what big buck we're on or we're seeing, focus on just going with the gut, having fun, enjoying it. And I really do think that you know it'll be beneficial for both of us and i'd be curious to hear like we should do a post season like revisit of that mentality you know when did we do it well when did we not and we'll probably have video evidence to to prove when we didn't do it well or we did do it well so (laughs) that'd be kind of cool yeah that no i i would like to do that and i i really didn't realize when you asked me to do this that this was going to be a therapy session for me <laughs> but uh, <laughs> i'm glad i'm glad this is a good time for you to hit me with this as i have been stressing about things and you know as i'm talking about this confidently i'm also struggling with it so uh-huh. it's like this you know talking about my emotions got it all out there <laughs> You're a great listener. You had examples. Like, so this is, this is great. Dude, and I, uh, you didn't even charge me for it. So that's, yeah. that's great. I mean, it, it, I do think it's, I do think it's something like it. We don't ever talk about as, as hunter, or I shouldn't say don't ever, but we don't talk about very often because a lot of times I think, you know, whether it's something that we should be doing or not be doing, we're constantly looking at others and then being like, well, I need to get there or like, well, they've already killed a buck. Like, man, like I haven't even killed a buck or I haven't even seen one or, you know, it's like I'm behind. And, and, and you mentioned even feeling that way, like, you, you don't you don't know what's going on enough in Pennsylvania. And it's like, you know, things happen fast. I mean, next thing you know, you could you could kill a buck in, in PA and then turn around. I mean, hell, that could even be in mid-November. You kill a buck, you know. In, in one three-day time frame and then turn around and do the same thing in West Virginia and go to the next place and boom. And next thing you know, you go from no bucks to three, you know, and it's like, yeah. you know, especially yeah. especially with as much, like, as, as, as much movement starts to happen, you know, I think we, I definitely have this tendency to put too much pressure on myself in October when things aren't really happening yet, but like stuff happens fast in November. Like you never know what could happen. You really yeah. don't. It's like it's the middle of the October. It's middle of October. Why, you know, why are you getting worked up? And I've had that same situation before. I remember I, I was having like the worst hunting season, you know, quote unquote worst <laughs> hunting season ever. And November eighth, and then I I shot a nice buck. I took care of it, had fun at camp, everything. Next day, I drove to Ohio. I was in a tree for four hours, and I killed another buck. And I'm like, how does this, you know, happen? Yep. Like just like one right after another, and after having this like long spell of nothing. Yep. And then you have seasons like last year where I had 
two two days of hunting and two bucks down and then i go through another streak of like yeah, yeah. a long like all around the year of not you know struggling or like you know we're talking about measuring against other people where um i was in montana and i got on this one ridge and i had cell service and we're sitting there taking a break and I pop open the old Instagram and I'm following. I'm like, I said, everyone's killed a bull except for me. Right <laughs> yeah. now. Like, this is not what I do. And Justin's like, just close your phone. Dude. Like, this isn't, you don't need to be doing this after the mental struck, you know, of yeah. being out here for two weeks. And it's just like, you, you go through that and you can't, can't measure it that way. Cause anything can change at any moment. This is, this has been my favorite, like motivational line for myself and, and others, um, as of late mistakes are going to happen, right? Like we're all going to make a mistake, whether that's you make a bad shot, you, you, you miss one, you, you know, get a little too aggressive and bump him. Like we're going to make these mistakes over and over again. And I think that when I was younger, I look back at my teen years and in my head, it was like, this is such a huge deal because I hadn't been there before, right? Like I don't, or if I had, it'd been a handful of times. Like, you know, I hit, I hit, several bucks when I was in my teen years, like high, you know, up in non-lethal hits, um, because I wasn't taking an extra second to settle the pin because I think my head was so scrambled in the moment that I would lose. I, w- I, w- I would think to myself like, this is an incredible opportunity. I've never had a buck this big right here before. And then I would freak out and just like, you know, my pin was probably just dead center of him and I'd shoot and he'd drop and boom, next thing you know, I've got a high hit non-lethal shot but as time goes on you know through all the other successes and failures you know every time you tag a buck every time you don't tag a buck you continue to add those experiences up and then all of a sudden you look back on it and you're like you know what I will get there again I'm gonna make another mistake but I'm gonna have him at point blank again it may be a year it may be a couple seasons of rough times it could be I mean it could be you know, depending on how much you can hunt every year, it could be five, ten years. You know, I, I think that, you know, keeping that at the, you know, keeping that in mind at all times that I'm going to get there again. Just stay relaxed, have confidence in what you're doing. I'm going to get there again. Just keep that in mind. You're a good enough hunter. You've got there before. You're going to again, you know may yeah. not be tomorrow it may not be for the next two weeks but who knows next thing you know you could have two bucks down in two different states when you thought that you're having the worst season of your life you know yeah again again the therapy session that i needed and it's like <laughs> you know when when and, okay so like and and it's not it's not a bad thing but you know you and i we get to hunt more than the normal person yep. does which adds more opportunity for mistakes yeah and that's what i've been realizing i've i've been screwing up a lot lately and i'm like <laughs> and i'm just like dude like you like you know you know sometimes you get down on yourself like you really suck like what's going yeah. on here like you need and then it's like all right put this into perspective don't throw it out the window there's you gotta learn from it but it's like all right that yeah you're also putting yourself in situations where you have the potential to screw up more too so mm-hmm. like understand that and and that's that's something i've been you know talking with my myself about but yeah no you're you're exactly right you're gonna have ups and downs you're gonna have things and it's important to learn from it but not dwell on it to the point of of um, just paralyzing yourself yeah and i mean it's easy to do it's easy i mean you see it in all kinds of, in all aspects of life and and you know I think keeping that 
in your mind staying positive, man, it's it's hard. Like don't get me wrong. Like I think I think that a lot of times people see like my reaction to certain things and a lot of times my immediate reaction is is positive, but then I almost always go through a wave of like pissed. Like I can get really angry. Like my mom, my mom was saying one day this summer, she was just like, I, I walk into her talking about to somebody about like, you know, the perspective of somebody watching our videos. You're like, she, and she, I heard her say like, she must think, or, or people must think that, you know, Zach does nothing but drink coffee and, you know, has just this like super positive attitude because that's what you see. But she's like, people don't know that he has a temper. You know, and it's like, people don't know that I get, you know, and, and people probably don't know that, like, there will always be that second wave, and the camera's not always rolling for it, where I'm just like, damn it, so like, what was I thinking? Like, what, how did I mess that up? And then I'll dwell on it for too long, but then it comes back and levels back out. So it's like, at the end, the end goal is that you're always keeping a positive mentality and knowing, again, you will be in that situation again, and you're going to improve the next time, and just, you know. Who cares? You know, mistakes, as fun as they aren't, are, are they're not fun in the moment, but man, they're fun when y you nail it the next time because you learn from that, yeah. you know, so. Yeah, everyone listening just has to know that the, the camera turns off and only shows Zach in a positive light for a reason. He's in the tempers, you know, it's, it can get pretty bad and <laughs> sometimes some fists start swinging. No, I'm kidding. But, uh, <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, that's that's really funny. But yeah, it's like this, like this, you know, it's kind of like a little bit of a roller oh, coaster totally. as you go through. You just you hope that yeah, you don't end up, you, you don't want to crash at the bottom. You know, you want to get out nice up at the top there for a little bit, and then you ride back down again. Yeah, and, and, I, and it's I mean, it's just a it's a it's a good it's a good thing to make those mistakes because you know it just keeps you it keeps you um, learning, it keeps you improving, and I mean, yeah it's something we could go on and on i'm sure about but yeah <laughs> you well i i'm sorry i've kept you for so long it's just been a fun conversation and no it's good i i, I enjoyed it i think i needed it so now I'm, <laughs> I'm gonna go out tonight i'm gonna be careless i'll be floating through the woods and just land right in some big buck sign and and game over shoot a monster it's seven and a half yards yeah just just give me a day before you post this podcast so i can send you the, the trophy pics like <laughs> yeah. all that stuff that you know, I'm, I'm just kidding <laughs> oh, no it's been it's been good man i appreciate you having me on i always have fun with our conversations oh yeah absolutely and we we will definitely have to do another one at the end of the season to revisit this this you know talk of positive positive mental attitude throughout the season and being aggressive you know, pairing those two things, I think, are, are cool. But All right. Well, thanks, for everybody, for listening. Bo, thanks again, dude. It was, like, honestly, yeah, one of the most fun ones I've done in a while. So appreciate your time. Awesome. Glad to, glad to keep it light. Appreciate it, man.